Woodhouse Nissan offers a variety of SUVs and crossovers to fit your lifestyle. Whether you're looking for an SUV with high towing capability or a crossover with all-wheel drive, you can expect a variety of safety features, plenty of seating, ample cargo space, and innovative design to tackle virtually any adventure. Explore the Nissan lineup of SUVs and crossovers featuring Rogue, Rogue Sport, Kicks, Murano, Pathfinder, and Armada. Visit one of our two Nissan locations or shop online at woodhouse.com. This is America with Rich Valdez, powered by PolitiWeek.com. And Rich Valdez is with us, former Christie administration official. You work for Chris Christie, you've been in politics, a lot of public service stuff. Rich Valdez, columnist now with the Washington Times. This is America. Richie V, you're on the air with the nation. The nation. This is America with your host, Rich Valdez. What's up, America? I am Rich Valdez. Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo right here, 17 blocks away from Madison Square Garden, New York City, at Rich Valdez with an S on all of the social media. Make sure you follow. Make sure you chime in. Join the conversation. Even if I don't get back to you, I'm checking out the comments, and I might share them here on the air. And I want to talk about a few different things today. A first... Number one, I want to thank everybody that tuned into the Mark Levin Show on Friday. I had a great time hosting the Mark Levin Show, coast to coast, hundreds of stations. Such an honor to be there, to fill in for the great one, and to meet so many new listeners. So thank you. If this is the first time you're joining the show, thank you very, very much. I appreciate it. And I want to jump right in because the progressive Democrat socialist wing of the party, the Democrat Party, has grown. Just like the once conservative, patriotic, and uh, now populist base has grown in the Republican Party. The media calls this polarization, but I call it ideological purification. It's a more values-driven approach to politics than one driven by practicality and compromise. And I'm not saying one is better than the other. I've happened to have lived through both. A lot of people in politics today, or at least observers of politics, jumped in around 2015, 2016. They're part of the Trump train. Amen to that. Hallelujah. But I've been around for a long time. And I'm not like trying to brag. I'm just trying to say I remember being a Republican when, you know, when decorum and couth and all of these things were important, right? But we've seen how decorum and couth are not going to help us to beat the Democrats and to slow down the American Marxist agenda. So out with the old and in with the new. Say what you want, but this is where we are. The question becomes, will this ideological purity exist when we transition from politics on the campaign trail to creating public policy while governing? In some cases, it has, but it's usually not the norm. For example, Roe versus Wade was an example of that. It transcended the Constitution. They took the hype of their campaign, their ideology, the left, and they turned it into policy through judicial activism. It transcended the Constitution, and for the sake of their leftist progressive ideology, they went ahead and did this. And now we're spending as much time as we can and as we do on trying to undo it and bring attention to it and stop this uh, genocide on, on the unborn. Now, we all saw how this ideological pursuit for perfection paralyzes these jurists, these justices at the highest levels. It stops them from doing their jobs. For example, in almost every single one of those 2020 election cases that was brought to the courts, they were frozen, paralyzed with fear they wouldn't do it or motivated by their politics. So politics, by definition, is the balance of the influence of power. It's a tug of war. It's a give and take. And the ebb and flow of this influence is what we all struggle for. That's what politics is all about. Some see the power of political influence as a means to an end. We need the political power so we can advance our cause and do the right thing by the people. Others see it as their sole purpose for existence, i.e. the progressives. 
Now, some politicians realize that you need to gain political power to move forward certain initiatives that are good for the people, the people you represent, your constituents. Others see this accumulation of political power as the end all and be all because the state is the almighty in their opinion. And that's how the Marxists think. The body politic, we the people, must be the arbiters of this government and consistently decide how we will be represented. That is what Reagan called informed patriotism. And before I go on, I want you to hear this little clip from Ronald Reagan. This national feeling is good, but it won't count for much and it won't last unless it's grounded in thoughtfulness and knowledge. An informed patriotism is what we want. And are we doing a good enough job teaching our children what America is and what she represents in the long history of the world? Those of us who are over 35 or so years of age grew up in a different America. We were taught very directly what it means to be an American. And we absorbed almost in the air a love of country and an appreciation of its institutions. If you didn't get these things from your family, you got them from the neighborhood, from the father down the street who fought in Korea, or the family who lost someone at Anzio. Or you could get a sense of patriotism from school. And if all else failed, you could get a sense of patriotism from the popular culture. The movies celebrated democratic values and implicitly reinforced the idea that America was special. TV was like that, too, through the mid-60s. But now we're about to enter the 90s, and some things have changed. Younger parents aren't sure that an unambivalent appreciation of America is the right thing to teach modern children. And as for those who create the popular culture, well-grounded patriotism is no longer the style. Our spirit is back, but we haven't re-institutionalized it. We've got to do a better job of getting across that America is freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of enterprise, and freedom is special and rare. It's fragile. It needs production. So we've got to teach history based not on what's in fashion, but what's important. Amen to that. Let's teach what's important, because not only is history important, but patriotism is important. And our approach to our patriotism is important. How do we love our country? Are we loving our country while we're loving our fellow man or not? I believe that we must approach this from a position of love and not a position of hate, because I think that's the exact distinction between the right and the left, the good guys and the bad guys, however you want to frame it. I don't think the left should be the bad guys is the point that I'm making. We need to be approaching this from a position of seeking peace and positive outcomes and not political destruction. That's just my opinion. Because outrage and anger have become the new political disposition for too many people. That was once a radical view and today it's the norm. And I get it. Things are crazier than they've ever been and people's emotions are inflamed. But we can reject that. I know that I do. At least 40% of the time, 50% of the time, I reject outrage and anger. Now, if I'm being honest... That means 50 to 60% of the time, I'm not thoroughly, um, you know, outraged and angered. But, um, you know, that, there's an ebb and flow there. Sometimes I do get upset, sometimes I don't, because it's hard to not get upset when the country you love is being torn to shreds. But what I want to impress upon you today is that nobody said that you can't do anything. You, and I mean you, not, not the guy next to you, not the woman next to you, but you. For whatever reason, people have brainwashed themselves into thinking that they're not able to do anything. 
or they're just hooked on the fear of losing a paycheck or a pension. Listen, working in government has taught me not to react to many things in rage because there's going to be things that outrage you all the time. Now, while I do get disappointed, I try not to get surprised because I read the book and I know how this story ends. Bad people do bad things. Bad people get into politics way more than the small handful of good people that get into politics for all of the right reasons. This is just a reality and it's my opinion. But this presents the largest opportunity for we, the people, to make the biggest impact. There's not enough good guys, and I know that you're one of the good guys. The civil discourse that we have in our country needs more good people coming from a place of love, working towards a positive outcome for we, the people. And we must replace this most uh, vile, the most vile politicians among us. We have to replace them with these good people, with you, common everyday people like businessmen, butchers, bakers, candlestick makers. Me, I used to be a barber. However, just like the Supreme Court and other courts were paralyzed with fear, many good people are paralyzed by the fear of losing their pension and their paycheck. And they decide not to get involved. They say things, I'm too old. I've got kids. What am I going to do? I have to work. That's how the left and the deep state, the enemy, the New World Order, the Illuminati, whatever you want to call them, the bad guys, political adversaries. I use them interchangeably right now because I think in the context, it doesn't matter who, who your bad guy is. Whatever you want to call them, that's how they control you. They keep you shook. They keep you scared. So I'm going to let you in on a little secret. The leftist, Marxist, anti-American movement that's coming after your way of life, the way that you love to live, the way you want your kids to grow up and live, they've never been afraid of losing their job. They've never been afraid of losing a pension. So hang on to that thought for a second. I am Rich Valdez. More to come straight ahead. We're going to talk about Mike Pence and the latest with uh, the porn lawyer, Michael Avenatti. This is America. Woodhouse Nissan offers a variety of SUVs and crossovers to fit your lifestyle. Whether you're looking for an SUV with high towing capability or a crossover with all-wheel drive, you can expect a variety of safety features, plenty of seating, ample cargo space, and innovative design to tackle virtually any adventure. Explore the Nissan lineup of SUVs and crossovers featuring Rogue, Rogue Sport, Kicks, Murano, Pathfinder, and Armada. Visit one of our two Nissan locations or shop online at woodhouse.com. College can be expensive, but saving now can help your students save later. Give your child's college savings a boost by registering for a chance at one of 25 $1,000 savings plan deposits for 6th through 12th graders. Sign up today at iowastudentloan.org slash register. Look for the Save Now, Save Later giveaway under the scholarships page. Log on and register today. That's iowastudentloan.org. Woodhouse Nissan offers a variety of SUVs and crossovers to fit your lifestyle. Whether you're looking for an SUV with high towing capability or a crossover with all-wheel drive, you can expect a variety of safety features, plenty of seating, ample cargo space, and innovative design to tackle virtually any adventure. Explore the Nissan lineup of SUVs and crossovers featuring Rogue, Rogue Sport, Kicks, Murano, Pathfinder, and Armada. Visit one of our two Nissan locations or shop online at woodhouse.com. This is America. Para Inglés, o primal número dos. Para Rich Valdez. Y esto es America. Ahora. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. By now, your feathers are ruffled. You're probably angry, saying, who does this guy think he is? What's he talking about telling me? Why doesn't he take his livelihood and toss it? I got to be honest, I did. And that's how I ended up in talk radio and doing the stuff that I do. 
But I'm not saying to be like me. Honestly, I think, you know, there's more I could have done and there's more than I'm going to do. It was difficult to do things when I had little kids. So I understand your um, trepidation on those things. Uh, But I also understand they don't grow up the way you want them to if you don't take the action now. Now, some of you are listening saying, listen, my kids are long gone. My kids went to those uh, indoctrination mills. And, you know, now I'm in my uh, middle age part of life and I've got kids that are leftists because I did the right thing and sent them to school. Listen, you're not going to win them all. I'm not, I don't have a crystal ball. If you, if, if you ever listen to me, you know by now, I'm not about predictions. But I can say you got to fight, right? You can't. I use my punch in the face analogy. If you heard it before, you know, bear with me. If it's your first time, enjoy it. You're walking down the street. Somebody punches you in the face. What do you do? Do you stop and ask them why they're punching you or do you punch them back? Now, listen, if you're the type of person that's like, oh, my gosh, why did you do that? Why would you hit me in the face? What's wrong with you? Get out of that mindset and get back into the mindset or get into the mindset for the first time of saying, you know, if you hit me, I'm going to hit you back. Now, I'm not saying to be the guy that's walking down the street punching people in the face. You don't have to be the aggressor. But you also don't have to sit here and, and constantly ask, what do you do? Why? Why? Why did you do? Who cares the why? The why is so irrelevant. Honestly, the answer is because they hate you. They hate you. And that's evidence in so many things. The left hates us. Why? Because the left embraces secularism and they hate God. So if you're a God-fearing person, they don't like the fact that you put your faith in God and not in the government. This is probably one of the most fundamental distinctions. Maybe I'm a radical for thinking in that way. If so, so be it. But this is what happens. And then you got people that play the middle, like Biden. He's like, oh, I'm not going to ask why they're punching me and I may not even punch him back. That sounds more like Clinton, doesn't it? Uh, I got to work on my Biden. He needs more of like a gurgle in the back of the throat. Uh, you know, I got, I got hairy legs. I'm, I'm working on it. But there was some interesting audio of Biden babbling, speaking of him, uh, babbling and just babbling over the weekend, which is why I call him Joe El Baboso Biden, because I think he's so funny with his babbling. But I want you to hear this because I thought it was pretty funny. It, it, there's zero cohesion to this. It does not make sense. I don't want to get going because I have to keep you here too long. Because You know all what I'm about to what I've said. And you know what I've done and you know what we're doing and you know what I know what you're doing. But let me close with this. <laughs> let me close with this. I got hairy legs. I mean, I just love these moments where Joe, and again, I feel bad poking fun at him because I know what it's like to care for somebody with a brain injury, but I also understand that he was once a very sharp man. He was once a very sharp man and knew exactly what he was doing. And he, uh, he was, you know, willing to recount stories that included the N word and not something that I endorse, not something I think anybody should endorse, but I find it interesting that they went after Joe Rogan over the weekend or toward the end of the week. And they said, you know what? Joe Rogan is a horrible person because there were instances where he quoted or was telling a story where someone quoted the N-word and he used the N-word. Now, they left out all all of those details. They made it seem as if he was using these um, N-word laden rants. It wasn't like that. It was the same way Joe Biden's doing it from the Senate floor. Here's Joe Biden a million years ago in the Senate doing the exact same thing. Check this out. Mayor, we don't need any more nigger big shots. We already have a nigger mayor. We don't need any more nigger big shots. Wow. And I, I, I don't endorse this. But again, when Charlemagne the God said, you know, well, what's going on, VP Biden? He said, hey, if you don't know if you're voting for me, or you're voting for Trump, then you ain't black. And when people say that he supported the segregationists and he's made comments like this throughout his career and he's never, ever, ever been held to account. He said, you can't even go into a 7-Eleven. Now, listen, when he made that comment, I remember hearing it. And I was like, yeah, listen, I grew up with a kid, uh, Munish, Munish Asnani, 
and his parents are Indian. He's Indian. And I learned to some, some Indian words because, you know, they were just, they lived across the hall from me. And it was very common for us to tell stories. At least it is for me. I'll tell a story about anybody. If I'm talking about my dad, I'll say, you know, he's telling me, mira, Richard. You know, I, I use my dad voice. If I'm doing Biden, I try to do, I, I got hairy legs. You know, if we're doing Trump, I say, uh, you know, I'm terrific, best words, most presidential. You know, I try to throw a little impression in there. So it's very common if I do something like this. What, what have you done with money? What is money today? You know, I, I learned the Indian accent. We used it amongst each other. So I took, I take no offense to that. But when Biden says that you can't go in there, I wasn't offended by it, but I just think it lacks couth. And when there's a conversation going on about lacking couth and that this is we would love trump trump was great for the economy it was trade for oh but we didn't like his tweets oh but we didn't like this oh but he was orange oh but he did this and he was too rough and too much bravado and not enough uh polish and not enough um decorum and i think look it's not right or wrong everybody has their way of doing things i like mike pence some people hate mike pence today because he didn't take a risk he was politically safe and said, you know what, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to violate these traditions. And this is not a defensive Pence. This is just my observation. I often think if I was in that position, what would I do? I think I would have rolled the dice and said, you know what, there's no precedent for this, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to give it everything I've got. And I, and I got that. And I also understand his position as a guy who's had a career before Trump and expects to have one after Trump. And some would argue he's not because of, you know, he didn't go far enough. He didn't, you know, uh, toe the line for the team. And I understand that to me. And if it's a litmus test on loyalty, it was a fail, in my opinion. But does that mean that he's not worthy of the presidency? He's a bad person. He's a rhino. I would never say that. I would not say any of those things. I would say he disagreed with Trump. They had a disagreement on this particular issue, which was one that, in my opinion, was very important. And if they want to have bad blood amongst themselves, that's fine. I'm not going to have bad blood against them. It, 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 it's something where I have to allow people to have liberty. I have to allow people to have choice. I can't just sit here and force this stuff on, on people. But that's where we are today. And it seems like if, if, you, if you say that you like Pence, and again, I, I like Pence. I'm not going to vote for Pence. I'm going to vote for Trump if he runs. And I want the, the more, uh, more in-your-face, ready-to-fight candidate. I just do. I think that's what America needs at this point in history. But I'm not going to slight somebody else because they want that person. Now, if you're going to look at me and say that I'm a rhino, and I'm not conservative because I'm going to let somebody else have a differing opinion, then go right ahead. But I think the same way you're going to have a Bernie Sanders, you're going to have a Mike Pence, you're going to have a McConnell. Would I vote to get McConnell out of there? Any day of the week. I would love to see him gone. Lindsey Graham, I think he's a nice guy. And I think he's pretty effective in Congress, honestly, especially in his role as judiciary chair. I think he did what he had to do. But could we use somebody more conservative? Yes. Does that mean any conservative running against him is going to be better than him? I don't know. I think being on the inside of the government, there are certain things that come with understanding things. You may not like a particular radio host, let's say, but that doesn't mean that if you get somebody who's more to your ideological leaning, that you're going to like that host better, especially if that host doesn't know how to host a show, right? You can get somebody and it's ums and ahs and speaking really far away from the mic so you don't get any action. You don't get any shape. You don't really have a voice uh, in your broadcast. So, I mean, I think knowing how to do a broadcast matters. And in that same way, I think that knowing how the machinations of government work, you have to know how the swamp works so that you can navigate the landmines in the swamp. Otherwise, you're going to be screwed. Anyway, that was just my thoughts on Pence. And um, 
I want to talk about the creepy porn lawyer in the next segment. I also want to talk about tug of war, if you will. And it was a really good article in Axios titled How Trump's Endorsements Are Shaping a Future GOP Congress. There was another piece. This isn't actually the one I wanted to see, but this is the one I got in front of me. And i just give you the gist of it. It was about a bunch of current consultants that are working in the Republican Party on different campaigns and whatnot. And they're all saying that, look, what was once the most valuable endorsement like the National Review or um, the Weekly Standard, obviously, you know, the Weekly Standard is now defunct and National Review has taken a very anti-Trump position. And I love National Review. I mean, they've been great. Mark Levin used to be an editor online, right, for NRO Online a million years ago, 2004, 2005. This was a very, very conservative uh, publication. It was great. However, they've changed their position because they've kind of maintained. I should, let me rephrase. You know what? To be fair, they've maintained their position as conservative Republicans, and the times have changed. We have Marxism that's no longer the fringe. It's in your face. AOC, all out crazy, our least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens. She has popularized this in a way that I've never seen in my lifetime. People celebrate this idea that we should have a national strike, a general strike. These communist principles are just right out there on full display and they're celebrated. It used to be only a handful of commies used to celebrate how communist they were. But that's where we are today. Now, in this piece, it talks about how the most important endorsement right now is Trump's. And he's using that power of his endorsement not only to punish his disloyal House Republicans, that went against them, but to reward members of the chamber's most conservative Republican groups. Here's why it matters, according to the Axios piece. The former president's support for more than 20 incumbent re-election bids highlights his efforts to reshape the House Republican conference in his image through midterms that could thrust the GOP back into power a year from now. Now, I don't like the way that's written or worded, but that's accurate. I believe that Trump was the antidote to a dying Republican Party. And I say dying because you need to be a counterpoint in the culture war, in the political war. And if you're not that counterweight, if you can't say, hey, look, you're doing this, or we're going to have to, you know, do a little more of that. It's like being a firefighter. You show up, small little kitchen fire, you grab the uh, fire extinguisher off the wall, you shoot it at the stovetop, puts it out, you're done. But if you spray down that stovetop and it doesn't go out, that firefighter is going to pulling this huge hose from the fire hydrant outside and he's going to start shooting heavy water at it and he may bring in other firefighters and they might have to tackle it if it goes up the side of the wall and boom now we got a problem that's where america is communist ideology is now inside the minds of many americans not just a few not just the 25 percent that go to college and finish it it's gone well beyond that it's all over the place any day of the week, you can you can go to the hood. You could turn on the hip-hop radio station, like I've always listened to, and you can hear a discussion about why Palestine is great and why Israel is wrong. You can hear a discussion about why Obamacare and free health care, government-provided health care, is better than having a free market option. This is now commonplace discourse in all culture, not just academia, not just the intelligentsia, not just inside the beltway. Trump realized that and he ratcheted it up several notches to bring the fight the way it needed to be brought. Some people don't like his delivery. I love it. I love it. Only Rosie O'Donnell. <laughs> I mean, how do you not love that? But the point here, that's what's happening. And Biden isn't doing anything to help. He's only doing things that hurt. 
on a quick aside, right? So while they need Trump to shape Congress, they're trying to fight it. That's what Liz Cheney's doing. That's what the rhinos are doing. That's what's happening. Granted, got it. The problem is the voters, we the people, we want action, and Trump represents that action. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir for so many of you right now, but I'm trying to make a case for the occasional leftist that joins my program or for friends and family of those that listen that say, hey, listen to this guy. He's pretty good. You might enjoy it. I hear that a lot, and I thank you for the compliment. But they do it because I try to be rational. I try not to to make this about emotion, but I try to make it about the facts. And those are the facts. People just don't want to live in places where there's no police. People don't want to live in a place where criminals are running rampant. But yet you've got this D.A. Alvin Bragg who's happy to uh, say things that, you know, inflame the situation and create policies and refuse to prosecute crime. Then you've got actresses like Susan Sarandon, who I did a sting on once. You know, I worked for Project Veritas for a while. I was the national director of special operations. And we had done this thing where I had a team of undercover people in the inner workings of Hollywood. And we produced a movie that actually uh, premiered in Cannes. And uh, James O'Keefe was at that premiere. It was terrific. It's on YouTube if you want to check it out. But the movie that we produced was called Expose, Hollywood's War on American Energy. And we put it out in 2014. And the movie in and of itself is a sting on big Hollywood types. Ed Begley Jr., Marielle Hemingway, the granddaughter of Ernest Hemingway, and Susan Sarandon, who all agreed to basically take a bunch of money from an oil baron that was saying, look, I have some oil money. These were all pro-environment people. And because he didn't like fracking, because fracking was ruining his bottom line, they said, yes, Mohammed, we will accept your dirty oil money that we rail against just to stop fracking. It's an interesting piece. You should check it out. It's like 18 minutes. Uh, we submitted it as a short. It's all undercover, shaky video, Project Veritas style. And I think you'll enjoy it. But Susan Sarandon, she says that NYPD funeral is a turnout for fascism. And I think this is horrible. This is horrible that she says that. And, of course, she'll issue some sort of fake phony fraud apology. But she does that, and she's so brazen because she's one of these extreme progressive leftists that hates the Democrats because they're not as far to the left as Bernie Sanders is. Then there's this piece in Fox News that says more cops are killed under Biden now than in previous years. Horrible. Jason Johnson, president of the Law Enforcement Legal Defense Fund, 20-year police veteran says that law enforcement officers have essentially been marginalized and demoralized and cast aside and encouraged now to enforce the law. And they're only being encouraged to enforce the law now because crime is so out of control. So they're going to have an anti-gun unit with modified uniforms and all of this crazy stuff that maybe we'll get to in another segment. But I still want to get to creepy porn lawyer and so many other things. Bottom line here is we can't play with the police like yo-yos. We've got to tell them, look, you're the cops. You've got to do what you've got to do to fight crime. Same thing like with the Republican Party. If the cops right now need to strap on bulletproof vests and riot gear and this and that to handle a situation, you get it under control, then you go back to the patent leather shoes and the tent cap and looking all official. You know, but you got to, if it's a big fire, you shoot a lot of water. If it's a little fire, you, a little fire extinguisher. We have to stop playing this game that it's got to be the same thing all the time. We can't handicap the cops and expect them to do their job and demonize them in the process. Anyway, more to come straight ahead. I am Rich Valdez. This is America. This is America. 
Woodhouse Nissan offers a variety of SUVs and crossovers to fit your lifestyle. Whether you're looking for an SUV with high towing capability or a crossover with all-wheel drive, you can expect a variety of safety features, plenty of seating, ample cargo space, and innovative design to tackle virtually any adventure. Explore the Nissan lineup of SUVs and crossovers featuring Rogue, Rogue Sport, Kicks, Murano, Pathfinder, and Armada. Visit one of our two Nissan locations or shop online at woodhouse.com. Hey, Nissan, how do you get to the top? Calculating. Proceed to 1959. Take a hard left in East Africa at the 71 Safari Rally. Veer right for 19 off-road championships in the Baja Desert. Proceed towards Moab. Take the trail to Hell's Revenge. Include steep incline. Continue for the next million miles. Um, where to first again? 60 years, millions of miles, and the capability to take you anywhere. This is the new Nissan. This is America. He's making podcasting great again. This is America with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. Make sure you give us a follow at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And uh, subscribe to the podcast. If you're not subscribed, I encourage you to subscribe to the podcast because this is how we do it, right? We do this several times a week. Of course, you'll hear me on the radio sometimes. Um, Saturdays, Sundays on WPHT, 50,000 powerful watts. Philadelphia, New Jersey, home base for that. And make sure you check that out. But if you missed the show live, you can always get the podcast. We're on iHeartRadio and on every single podcast device that you've got. So make sure you don't miss the show. Now, some of the headlines that we're looking at right now, Trump is really happy about the censure of Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. Uh, I'm happy about that, too. I mean, I think we have to take that type of action against the people that are not on board. Now, again, somebody will say, well, Rich, didn't you just say that we should allow people to have their opinions? Yes, we should. But they don't have to be on our team. You know, if you're a Jets fan, you don't have to play for the Giants. That's all I'm saying. You're allowed to be a Jets fan. Just don't do it here. Now, another thing I wanted to talk about was Black Lives Matter and how they're using their donation platform to bilk America. You suckers. They took you for a ride. They claim to have $60 million, maybe more. Last year, I heard a number like $90 million. And now nobody knows who's who. They've gone to the uh, initial boss. What was her name? Patrice Cullors with a U. And she says, oh, no, I resigned. And I left it with uh, so-and-so. And then so-and-so, they go, hey, so-and-so, what's going on? You know, the Washington Examiner is conducting this uh, investigation into them. And they say, oh, no, well, when she resigned, we actually never took the job as the, the new president and vice president. We were just on the board, but we're not involved anymore. So now nobody's involved. Nobody's answered the Washington Examiner's request for comments. And the state of California has said, well, now you've embarrassed us. So you can no longer raise any more money. So BLM is officially offline. All right. Hold the applause. Hold the applause. Headline in the Washington Examiner by Andrew Kerr. Black Lives Matter drops from an uh, Act Blue system, which is the online funding system of the Democrat Party, following Washington Examiner expose. BLM fundraising pages on Act Blue were deactivated on Friday, a day after the Washington Examiner exposed that BLM was still accepting donations on the Democrat platform, despite claiming it had stopped amid questions uh, around its finances. California and Washington states ordered BLM in January to cease soliciting contributions in their states until it discloses its finances for 2020, the year that raked in tens of millions of dollars during the nationwide unrest promoted by the George Floyd riots. 
BLM on Wednesday said it shut down online fundraising operations until it sorts out its compliance issues. But the group continued to accept charitable contributions through its ActBlue fundraising pages as recently as Thursday afternoon, saying, quote, you have attempted to make a contribution to a fundraising page that has no active recipients. Either page's owner has removed all committees or organizations from the page, or we have concluded processing contributions for these committees or organizations. That's what the message says when you go to Act Blue's fundraising page for BLM. That was as of Friday morning. Now, the Act Blue pages were shuttered less than a day after an unidentified BLM spokesperson claimed on Thursday afternoon that the pages were quote-unquote, not active, despite the fact that the pages had continued to accept ca- uh, cash, not cash, charitable contributions uh, for BLM into the evening. Unbelievable. They're getting every last penny. I guess I guess you can't blame them. If you're bilking somebody and they let you keep robbing them and they're voluntary, it's not like they're getting robbed. You know, they're, they're saying, hey, can you give me your money? And they're like, yeah, I'm an idiot. Sure, here, take it. I mean, they're being defrauded, no doubt. But this is where we are. And this is how BLM works. It's all about the brainwash. And they'll even do it to kids. And you've seen this, but you haven't heard this. And I want you to hear this because this is outrageous. This one here is a kindergarten class. These are five-year-olds, the cutest little humans on the planet. And they're walking around like protesters, holding signs in the air that say Black Lives Matter. Now, listen, you can disguise this as some sort of way to teach kids about racial equity and whatnot, but you're truly indoctrinating these kids to be some sort of vocal advocates for your political movement. Don't believe me? Listen to this. Now, that is from the libs of TikTok, uh, a Twitter account that I follow on Instagram and Twitter. Big shout out to them. They do an excellent job of curating these videos. But this is the pre-primary students raising their voices, as they said. This is a D.C. school forcing kindergartners to walk around with BLM signs and chant Black Lives Matter. This is the type of indoctrination we have now again. Fundamental difference of opinion, if you want to call it that. Somebody's going to say, no, I want my kids to learn, to have a voice, to be active. Isn't this America? Aren't we supposed to stand up for the things that we believe in? This is what we're supposed to do, isn't it? Of course it is. But we don't send our kids to public school to learn to be political activists. And that's the bottom line. If you want to teach your kids that, you teach them that on your own time. I wanted my kids to learn about Christianity. So what did I do? I took them to church on Wednesday night. I took them on Friday nights. I took them to Sunday school for probably about the first 10 years of their life to give them a a somewhat fundamental understanding of Christianity. And if in their life, when they turn 18 or whatever it is, when they decide, hey, I decided, I checked that out, I'm not into it, I want to go chant BLM, then they're going to do that. Thank God they haven't done that. But my point is, we have a responsibility as parents to educate our children socially and morally and in so many ways. And there is a degree of that that goes with the classroom teacher You know, you want the teacher to say, now, Bobby, what do you say to Billy? I'm sorry, Billy. I didn't mean to punch you in the neck. You know, that type of thing. Okay, granted. You want to have those types of uh, moral reinforcements. You expect that they're going to teach the right thing. Not, hey, say you're sorry to Billy. Why? Because you're white and he's black. And that's happening, too. And we've heard about that. And I talked about that when I filled in for Levin. Which, by the way, we are going to have a, a, a clip from that Levin uh, fill-in that I did on Friday night. I'm going to have that in the next episode, uh, a clip of that, and maybe the second episode as well. So the next two episodes, you'll hear that. If you missed that on the air, we'll have a little bit for you uh, in the next two episodes. 
But back to this Black Lives Matter stuff. I think this is a big problem in our society. And again, preaching to the choir, I understand. But this is how we get to where we are. If we don't take a stand against this stuff and say, you know what, look, I thought I didn't have to become a political activist in order to put my kid in public school. But guess what? Now you do. You do have to become one if you don't want your kid to fall by the wayside and be taught whatever the government wants them to learn. So if there was ever a time to consider abolishing public education, because the one we have now isn't working, it's not producing the best doctors, it's not producing the best lawyers, it's not producing the best anything. The United States is dwindling in its rankings of whatever, you name it, whatever. We're not producing the best engineers, we're not producing the best doctors, the best lawyers. We are importing doctors and nurses from so many places across the globe. Just go to a hospital and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. You're not going to meet people that studied in the U.S. and were educated in the U.S. So clearly our education system is failing our children and failing our country. Keep that in mind because you're probably better off homeschooling. Some food for thought. Don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right there. Straight ahead, creepy porn lawyer Michael Avenatti and what one judge told the Connecticut prison. You're not going to believe this. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America. This is America. This is America. He's brown, he's bald, and he's breaking it down. This is America with Rich Valdez. Welcome back, everybody. Here we go. We're about to wrap this thing up because I want to talk about creepy porn lawyer Michael Avenatti. Michael Avenatti is uh, the lawyer that represented Stormy Daniels, who said that Trump paid her off to be quiet because of whatever. Lord knows what. And it was one of those things that was proven to be uh, majorly false. But she ended up getting some money um, by, I don't want to say prostituting herself, because I use that as a euphemism a lot, but in this case, I don't want to defame her. I, I, by putting herself out there, making some money, she made some money, and he stole 300 k from her. Now, Avenatti is the same guy that they said, this guy's going to be our 2020 guy. He's going to be the one to take down Trump. We're going to have him run for president. Instead, he's been sentenced to 22 years in jail. But this was a guy, he was the darling of CNN. He was on every day. He was on MSNBC. He was all over the place. There's a montage. I'm going to play just a little bit of it, but to show you how much they loved this guy. Listen to this. Remember celebrity lawyer Michael Avenatti, the man who represented porn star Stormy Daniels? Well, the media's favorite guest is back in the news after being indicted on 36 charges. 254. That's how many times Avenatti was featured on major TV networks in one year, according to Newsbusters. Michael Avenatti is laying down the law. And is he really thinking about running for president? Joining me now live, the man himself, Michael Avenatti. Let's talk to somebody who understands the system very well. Michael Avenatti. He's Donald Trump's worst nightmare. Michael Avenatti. Michael, thanks so much for being Good morning. here. Did you talk to Stormy Daniels last night? What was her reaction? Did the president just get a new challenger for 2020? Stormy Daniels lawyer Michael Avenatti may have just tossed his hat into the ring. Looking ahead to 2020, uh, one reason why I'm taking you seriously as a contender is because of your presence on cable news. First, let me take a moment to brag on my former student. This dude right here, I think of him as in a Justice League with Robert Mueller to save our democracy. <laughs> Michael Avenatti, Michael Avenatti, Michael Avenatti, Michael Avenatti, Michael Avenatti, Michael Avenatti. Yeah, good old Michael Avenatti. So yeah, those counts and this and that, and he was charged with everything under the sun. Well, Avenatti was also found guilty. 
And I wanted to talk about this the other day. It broke while I was on the air, but I just didn't get into it because I hadn't researched it. But here's the headline from CNN, from the New York Times. Everybody, guilty, guilty, guilty. Michael Avenatti convicted of stealing $300,000 from Stormy Daniels. <laughs> Attorney turned criminal Michael Avenatti was convicted Friday of uh, swiping nearly $300,000 in book advance money from his then-client Stormy Daniels. This is in the New York Post. The now twice-convicted felon and one-time rising star now face, uh, faces a maximum of 22 years in prison for his conviction on wire fraud and aggravated identity theft charges. Wow, nice guy. Good old Michael Avenatti. The jury started deliberating on Wednesday, and he's scheduled to be sentenced on May 24th. After the verdict, Avenatti made a brief statement to reporters outside of the courthouse in lower Manhattan as rain poured down, saying, quote, I'm very disappointed in the jury's verdict. I'm looking forward to a full adjudication of all the issues on appeal, he said. His conviction marks another black eye for the already tarnished attorney who rose to national fame during the Trump administration as a vocal foe of the president while he was representing Ms. Daniels. Avenatti was a darling of the left during his time as Daniel's attorney who relished in sparring with former President Trump and his supporters on social media and cable news. Well, there goes Mr. Avenatti down with the Avenatti stir or whatever name. We're going to come up with a name for him. But Avenatti has bit the dust figuratively, figuratively. And in another piece of news that you might find interesting, this one I find uh, interesting because I always get into these arguments with my brother. I'm like, look, I don't care for the vaccine. I, I, I don't. I just don't. I really don't. But, you know, if they want to take it, let them take it. That's on them. And he always says, you don't understand, Richie. It's the vaccine that's hurting the people. There's a very high incidence of vaccine injury. And I'm not really pivoting to the vaccine, but I just happened to see this article. And uh, a comedian, Heather McDonald, she passes out on stage minutes or seconds after saying I'm vaxxed, double vaxxed, boosted and flu shot and shingle shot and haven't gotten COVID and Jesus loves me the most. And then she fell down. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh at you, Miss McDonald. I, I wouldn't like it if somebody laughed at me if I fell down. So I'm, I'm not trying to laugh. I just, I see the humor in that. You, you say Jesus loves you the most and then you, you pass out. Uh, there, it, there is a, an irony there, I think. Um, so anyway, eyewitnesses told the outlet, um, page six, that audience members initially thought it was part of the act, though it quickly became clear she was in need of medical attention. This happened in Tempe, Arizona. An EMT and a nurse who were in the audience reportedly rushed up to the stage to provide first aid before paramedics arrived at the scene. She's uh, the former Chelsea Lately star and was on the second night of a three-show stint in Arizona. She is slated to take the stage in Los Angeles next month. Now, I think that's just a, a, a crazy little piece of info because who saw that one coming? Not me. I might have to eat some crow and tell my brother, you were right. The vax is dun, dun, dun. I don't know. I'm not there yet. I think, you know, 15,000 people die from the vax and, you know, the other, I don't know. 50 million don't, I don't think the vax is killing everybody. That's just my thought. Okay, back to the creepy porn lawyer, Mr. Avenatti, and at least that topic. This is separate from Avenatti, but this came out a couple of days ago. Really interesting. Fox 61, Connecticut. Headline, appeals court. Inmates do not have a right to pornography. The goal was to eliminate a hostile work environment for prison guards. This happened in Hartford, Connecticut. Federal appeals court has ruled that Connecticut prison inmates cannot have or possess or view pornography in prison. 
And this is because they don't have such a right. The ruling came on Thursday from a three-judge panel of the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, which upheld a 2012 policy from the State Department of Corrections banning porn from prisons. The stated goal was to eliminate a hostile work environment for guards. Attorneys for the inmates had argued that they had First Amendment rights to view pornography and that courts failed them in properly weighing those rights against the interests of the state. (laughs) That's so funny. So I'm locked up. I have a right. First of all, when you're locked up, you don't have rights anymore. Right. I mean, I guess you have some rights, some civil rights, some human rights, but we know you don't have the right to vote anymore. There's a lot of rights that you lose your right to be free, that whole life, liberty, pursuit of happiness that goes out the window when you're incarcerated. I mean, that's just how that works. That's what incarceration is. It's a suspension of your rights, in particular, your right to be free. So somehow you have a right to um, to porn, but not a right to walk around the public. Ah, it's a stretch. I know they're uh, apples and oranges, but ridiculous nonetheless. This is why we have to stand up for what's right, because if we stand for nothing, we will fall for absolutely anything. So kudos to this court that says, yes, no porn. Kudos to the court that said, Avenatti, creepy porn lawyer, you're out of here. I think the guy was wrong for stealing money, robbing people, doing whatever. It's 20 years, the appropriate amount. I don't know. It sounds like a, a long time when somebody in Newark, New Jersey might shoot somebody and kill them and be out in seven years. And Avenatti's stealing money and he's going for 22 years. I don't know. But. We'll see. That was, you know, just a sentencing uh, range. He hasn't been sentenced yet, so we'll see how that really works out. But we have to be the change we want to see in the world, right? That's Gandhi. And I know I'm not a Gandhi guy, but I love that quote because I think it's true. If we're not doing it, who's going to do it? And if we're not doing it now, then when are we going to do it? That's Reagan. I'm just paraphrasing. But speaking of quotes, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people like you to do nothing. That's Lord Acton. Sir Edmund Burke also quoted that. And Hamilton, you have to stand for something because if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for absolutely anything. So I encourage you to continue listening and sharing this program. Thank you for joining me. Send it to your friends. Make sure you drop a review on your podcast app. Uh, Send it through text. Do what you got to do. We have to get the message out. And social media is not a friend of this program. They don't want uh, this message getting out there. So the more that you share it, the more that you have other people listen, the more the program grows. I Thank you for everything. Hasta la vista. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, America, I am Rich Valdez, and this is America. This is America. In times like these, it's so important that we focus on the facts. I always tell you to focus on the facts. I think you hear that everywhere you go, and that's because facts are irrefutable. It's the bottom line. It's the real deal. And in times like this of uncertainty, we need to rely on the facts. I get my facts from JustFacts.com. That's F-A-C-T-S, JustFacts.com. Go to JustFacts.com and sign up for their newsletter. JustFacts.com forward slash rich. Just put my name in there and you'll get it for free. JustFacts.com slash rich.